Um, the title of my message this morning is The Only Way Home. I want to talk to you about The Only Way Home. And obviously Exodus 24 is our focus as what we have been doing over the last couple of weeks um, as we've journeyed through this beautiful, beautiful book called Exodus. And uh, Exodus 24 is quite an incredibly significant moment in long our journey through Exodus. It's... Um, it's a pivotal chapter. It's almost like everything that has built up to this one moment, and from here on, things change a bit. Um, we see so much about worship being spoken of after this. We see that, uh, on the one hand, um, it records for us the people of God's response to the law in this chapter, which had been given in Exodus 20 to 23. We spoke about that a little bit last week, remember? about how God had given them Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, and then out of that there were more laws given. And it was all laws pertaining to life and, and just how we ought to live and how they ought to, to live. And uh, it laid this incredible foundation. In Exodus, it does lay a, an incredible foundation for the worship of God. And so Exodus 24 is incredibly important for us. And uh, it does... Um, some valuable things for us. And I want to just mention to you what it may do for us. It lays out the biblical pattern for worship. It's given, been given the laws, but now in Exodus 24, it gives us a beautiful pattern for, for worship. And from here onwards, um, until about chapter 32, it's this conversation that, that, that God and, and Moses has. It establishes also the, God, the covenant of God with his people on the basis of blood. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And it also shows how mortal man and woman um, met their maker face to face and how they lived to tell and talk about it. It's an incredibly important thing because even before that, you'll read in Exodus 19 where it says, no, no man can come up but Moses. And here we see that it's actually opened up to more people to experience. So I just want to give you five things from these 18 verses this morning and, and, and help us understand a little bit about what it means that there's only one way to home. And I'll explain to you what home is from this context. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word that's just been read. And we thank you that as we consider your word through just um, going into it a little bit and, and dissecting it, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will help me to communicate effectively what is on your heart for us to understand about these uh, beautiful verses. And Lord, there's so much for us to learn constantly. And I thank you that um, we'll be able to learn, but not learn informationally, but learn transformationally. That transformation will come to our lives as a result of our conversations and our discussion of your word today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So five things, five things, all right? Just the first thing, they'll come up on the board as we talk about the only way home. And the first thing is we want to talk about the invitations of God. I don't know if you've noticed it as we've read it. The first word that, that is spoken to Moses in chapter 24 and verse 1 is the word, I heard come. You guys over here, you have the same Bible? It's an invitation that says, come. And it comes from the Lord. Amen? You see that? It says, come 
up to the Lord. And he includes Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And we see that repeated again in verse 12, where the Lord said to Moses, now come up to me on the mountain. And I firstly want to say to you, our way home is to listen and to understand that God invites us. He is this invitational God. I don't know about you, but sometimes there are moments that you, that you wish people would have invited you. How many of you have been to and heard about events that you're like, oh, I wish they invited me to this one. It's like such amazing thing that took place and are you on the list? No, no, I didn't get the invite. And there's obvious reasons often we can't invite everybody, whether it's to a wedding or to a birthday party or a special event. You're like... You don't want to actually talk about the fact that you're going because you think that maybe your friend's not invited and you don't want them to be embarrassed and feel left out. Ever been in that situation? They're like, there's something coming up and, I, and I'm so excited that I've been invited. And, but I actually don't want to talk about it because, you know, um, just now others aren't invited and they feel bad. Or you know that others are invited and you've not been invited, but you don't want to really talk about it. You actually want to talk about it because you want to come play. It's like, how come he or she was invited and I wasn't? None of you ever been in that situation? Uh, you're constantly there. <laughs> the thing is that the reality is sometimes we are invited and sometimes we're not. And if you sit with a pain in your heart this morning because you weren't invited, you've got to just deal with that. And if you sit with arrogance and pride because you were invited, you've got to also deal with that. You okay with it? But when it comes to God, He invites everyone. And He includes people. And, and actually, this is a sermon by itself if you look at the invitations of God throughout the Bible. He's always in the process of including people and inviting them and say, come. Jesus did that so many times. And we find that it, this is not unique here in chapter 24, but it is absolutely important because out of this, it sets the pattern, as I just said, for worship. And so God is actually saying, come and worship. That's why when, when Moses spoke to Pharaoh, remember earlier on in our journey through Exodus, he said to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go so that they may go and worship me. And so here we see God setting the pattern for, for worship, and it starts with an invitation. When God invites us, it's firstly to come and worship, not just to come and ask of me what you need, which we are very good to respond to, isn't it? It's like, God, if you want me to come and give you my list, I'm there. Just push to the front, and I want to try to make space so that I can get to the front of the queue. But maybe we're not so eager to get to the front of the queue when it's about worship. We ought to. The invitation, ladies and gentlemen, is first of all so that we may come and worship our king. And I trust, and we don't have queues, by the way, praise the Lord, to get to the front to prove that we are the best worshipers. Now, worship is an attitude of the heart. It's not the, just music. It's the culture that we want to live with. And every day that I wake up is an opportunity to respond to this, come. And we have that beautiful song, isn't it? It says, come, now is the time to worship. And actually, that's, it's not a song to the Lord. It's actually a song to, to us, isn't it? We're not saying to the Lord, come now, God's going to worship what? Hey, no, we, we're talking to one another. They say, hey, come on, 
Come on, Susan. Come on, Roy. Come, let's go and worship the Lord. And, 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 and we want to gather together to do that. And so we have this beautiful thing that God invites us to come and worship. There are other things that he invites us to do. He invites us to walk with him. He invites us to experience him. He invites us to pray. He invites us to come and rest, isn't it? He invites us to come without money. Like I said last week, he invites us to come with empty hands. He says, I, I can't give anything to prove something to him. I come with an empty hand, empty hand. But there are times when he says, come with, with full hands. Come with praise. Come with thanksgiving. And so we, we have these invitations. We have an invitation to come and follow him. Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the invitations from God to come to him and follow him is about us submitting to him and, and complying with what he has for us. And say, God, please turn me into what you want me to be. The Bible ends, by the way, if you, if you turn to the very end of the Bible. The last chapter of Revelation is, chapter? 22. Just turn there with me quickly. It's like the, the fifth last verse of the entire Bible it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. It still is relevant right to the end where, where God is calling on us. And he says in verse 17, Revelation 22 verse 17, come and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. So there's this constant throughout the Bible and that's why I say this is like a series you can do on just come, invitations of God. And the beautiful thing is that we are introduced to it here and it is repeated and it grows throughout the Bible where God starts including more people. And we know that the New Testament is so clear about that, that he includes everyone. And so I want to say to you that... The only way home, the only way to God, if we can talk about God as our destination, and, and on this you can see that there is a road that leads somewhere. And the road that we're talking about today is a road to intimacy with God. It's a road to fellowship with God. And that is our destination. Our destination is not a place. Our destination, ladies and gentlemen, will always be a person. And so here we're talking about the only way to this person is to recognize that the person himself has initiated this. He says, come. He says, and, and, and often it is true that we feel we have no interest to embark on this journey. We have no desire. We're just not going to stay where we are. But if you're sitting here this morning, the Spirit of the Lord would, would stir your heart, I, I trust, to keep on responding to Him, which is the next issue or the point that I want to talk about. And it's that there is an appropriate response required because as we receive an invitation, RSVP, and by the way, I have noticed that particularly in this nation of Zimbabwe, people are quite poor when it comes to RSVPing. Uh-huh. My goodness, like, you find them again. So are you coming? 
tonight. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I meant to tell you, yes, we are, and we're bringing five others. Oh, okay, that helps. Hey? It's one thing to receive an invitation. How many of you love invitations? Come on. Yeah, yeah. How many of you love to reply? Huh? Yeah. How many of you know that you should improve your replying? You don't have to raise your hand. Oh, that's good. Guys are honest. Um, point is, we all love to receive these invitations from people. It's another thing to reply. Because so often, when an invitation is given, there's a thing that needs to be done. They call it preparation. Because often with an invitation, there is food and drink and whatever else involved. There's catering. Boy, oh boy, we do these little things in church often. Like a men's thing or a ladies or whatever. The guys, just tell us if you're coming. Guys, just tell us if you're coming. It's like six times on the WhatsApp group kind of thing. And then, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Maybe after this morning's preach, it'll improve. Father, we thank you for that change that'll come. <laughs> but the point is, we all love to receive invitations. It's another thing to respond. But you know what? With God's invitations, it's not actually something that we kind of think about. Do I want to go? <laughs> Let me just check my diary. <laughs> oh, on the 25th, I, I received an invitation from a, a real dear brother yesterday. And uh, some wonderful friend that I have, he's a pastor in Binga. His name is Jeffrey Muleya. I've known him for uh, probably 13 years, and um, Jeffrey is, is close to 50, and, and we've been praying for Jeffrey and trusting him to get married and, and with him, and, and yesterday I received an invitation to his wedding. <laughs> oh, I'm so delighted. <laughs> the thing is, it's on a Saturday in Binga, <laughs> and somehow I just trust the Lord that somehow I'm going to be able to go and come back or whatever. I just, you know, it's just such a special, special thing. And, and there are these special things that we feel at times, eh, I'd love to go, but I don't know whether I'm going to make it. And, you know, it's not always that simple and time-wise and distance. And, you know, if you get an invitation to go to a wedding in the States, it's like, mm, I don't know <laughs> whether I'll manage to do that. Hey, it's not so simple. But when it comes to God, His invitations are well worth listening to and responding to but appropriately responding to. And we see it here in this chapter that twice the people respond. And they say, God, let me show you. It's in verse, verse 3, the latter part of verse 3. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then it says the same in verse 7. And as he read, the people said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. And so first Moses comes and he, and he speaks what God had told them or him. And then secondly he comes and he reads what he had written down. That's where the book of the covenant comes in. And he shares this with the people. And they respond. And they give a thumbs up. But you know what thumbs up actually means? Not just I like what you said or I like the invitation. It means... I'll come along. I'll be there. I will arrive. I will participate. In this context, it's I will obey. 
my life available and to submit to you and to serve you with all that I have. And not just to let it be lip talk, but let it be genuine from the heart. That when no one else looks around or looks at you, that you will still be committed. Amazing just to live with this thing. All that you say, we will do. All that you say, we will do. Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says, Where, a year ago, there was a readiness in your heart to start doing something. He says, it's good that there will be a completion too. Do you understand what it means? It says, it's all good to say thumbs up on a Thursday. It's great to see the, the reality of it on a Friday morning at 5 a.m. And so, praise the Lord that I'm speaking to the crowd that, that are willing to not just say yes, but to do it. And if you've been battling in that, reach out to the Lord and say, Father, a thumbs up is what I want to constantly give you, but help me to let my heart come in line with my thumb, <laughs> with what I promise, that I will not just give you words, but I'll give you my life because that's the appropriate response. We then go into the next part that we want to talk about, and that's the book of the covenant that, that, that Moses talks about. It says here in verse 7, Moses is, is, in, is spoken of. It says, then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And by the way, the book of the covenant in this context is everything that, that God had given him from Exodus 20 to 23. All those laws that he had received from the Lord, he had written it down, and he had come and he said, guys, these are the things that we ought to apply to our lives. And so it says here, he read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, as I just mentioned, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So what we read here in this portion, and eventually the book of the covenant really is the entire Bible. This is what God has promised to us, and this is what we are called on to live by. And so when we read it, we understand that this is part of our journey to Him, is to consider the book of the covenant. And so there's at least just four general things that I want to mention about the book of the covenant that comes into play. And as I said last week, it's, it's actually a good exercise for you to go and read chapters 21, 22, and 23, because they all deal with interpersonal relationships, how we need to function amongst each other, and with livestock, and all those things included. It says, first of all, for me, that some of the general lessons about the book of the covenant is that we're all accountable to God all the time, in every aspect of our lives. And he has given us clear guidelines on how to live in such a way that he is honored in every part of our life. So we are accountable to God, first of all. And the book of the covenant, or what God instructs us, helps us to understand that my life is not just this blot out there, blob out there that, that has no relation to God, to people, or to an accountability to somebody else. I need to understand that I'm accountable to him in every area of my life. Those private areas where nobody sees you. And those public moments where you're so aware of what people see. Every aspect of your life and of my life 
I'm accountable to him. And it's on that point that they are saying, yes, Lord, whatever you have said. And as they read, as they listen to what Moses is reading, they say yes to him. And actually, they say every aspect of our lives, we're willing to submit to you. We don't have the time to read through all of these things that the Bible clearly illustrates and directs us to consider as godly behavior. But when we give a thumbs up to God, this is what we're saying. God, I'm willing to submit to everything. The second thing that we read from their willingness and what the book of the covenant illustrated to them is that we are to be concerned with the welfare of our neighbor. You read through those previous chapters and you see that so much of it has to do with the other person and how we need to treat the other person. And so part of our lives is not just you, me, and myself. <laughs> you know that threesome that we love? It's all about you, me, or me, myself, and I. That's the right one, isn't it? Me, myself, and I. No, it, it includes other people. And so when, when the Israelites here said yes, they were actually saying, yes, I'm willing to consider others. And so therefore, again, this morning, we implore on each other to say, guys, we, part of our journey with God and to God and, and enjoying God is including others in that. Hence what we call church. <laughs> we can never be on our own. We are to be concerned. In other words, it's stressed that if you really love God, you will love your neighbor. We read about it in these chapters before. It also shows us that, holy, that, that holiness is more than personal goodness. It's about public morality. The way that I present myself publicly, it's part of my holiness. I want to honor him when I go about doing whatever I do publicly. And you know what we always say is that whatever you eat in private, people will see in public. <laughs> Isn't it? And so whatever we do in private, there's no way that you're going to be able to hide it when you go public. And so our public or our private holiness needs to then transfer or translate into a public holiness where we make the choices and the thumbs up that we've said to God privately is seen publicly. The fourth thing that I want to mention about the book of the covenant and what we see it taught us in the previous chapters is that if we want fellowship with God, we should have a desire to obey the word of God. Those two go hand in hand. I want the best. I want to be home. I want to enjoy, and I'll show you just what some of these things may look like in this chapter. I want to enjoy the presence of God, the intimacy of the Father. I want to enjoy the Holy Spirit in my life and the constant awareness of His. But you can't disconnect it from obeying the Word. So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll love this, but when I'm expected to do that, I'm like, no, no, that's a bit tough. They go together. You cannot worship God without honoring his word. And I want to say this to you, that the highest form of worship, the highest form of worship is obedience. It's not how what, and what we do on a Sunday during songs and worship through music. 
The highest form of, a worship, of worship that you can offer the king is your obedience to the king. And the obedience can only come in relation to your observation and your consideration of the word. And so you take this away, then you're like, well, there's nothing that I need to obey. <laughs> I'm okay. It's like, don't, don't open the Bible. Because then there may be things that I need to consider. No, no, let me just keep the Bible. I don't know. Maybe that's why the devil love, loves it when we keep our Bibles closed. Because we, can, we, we kept from worshiping him, the Lord. The moment you open it, you read, forgive your brother that has sinned against you. Let me close that. Where did that come from? You open it again and it falls there once more. You realize God's speaking to me. And like, God, I want to worship you. God says, well, just, I worship you. I love the songs that I can sing unto you. I have this attitude in my heart and I'm not willing to forgive. But I love to worship you. And God just says, hey, come and obey me and forgive your brother. And that becomes the highest form of worship, your obedience. And so when we implore one another to worship, it's not come and sing songs and clap your hands and go wild and dance, which are all good. But your worship is measured by your level of obedience. And so that, that takes some introspection. Therefore, we can't just say, how's your worship going? It's like, yeah, I think it's okay. I reached like 7.4 decibels this morning. Did you not hear? Yeah, well, let the decibels come from your heart, not from your mouth. The way that you obey God. Is that okay? All right? So the book of the covenant speaks into this. The second thing, or the next thing rather, it's the fourth thing that I want to talk about from this chapter is, is the blood of the covenant which is the key way for us to go home, to be at home with the Father, is because of the blood. We read from verses 5. Let me, let me read it again, and some of these we may repeat. It says, And he sent, and this is Moses, and he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And we know that when oxen are slaughtered, there is blood, all right? And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And then Moses took the blood, and be ready for this, and threw it on the people, and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Praise the Lord, we don't have to do those things anymore, hey? You would have looked pretty silly if I start throwing blood on you. But what it speaks about is that it's clear that man cannot approach God or come into fellowship with him without a sacrifice taking place because we are sinful and in need of atonement or reconciliation or a price to be paid for the forgiveness of our sins. That's why you see here, something had to be killed and slaughtered and, and offered as a sacrifice. And we read that from, even from the beginning, where Adam and Eve sinned. And they, they needed to be clothed. And God clothed them with what? They clothed themselves with fig leaves. I'm like, baby, there must have been some better leaves around than that. They were so desperate probably. But then God comes and he kills an animal. 
correct? Because tunics from leather was made for them to be clothed. And so the embarrassment, the shame that they lived with, God came and covered them because he killed something to cover. And we know eventually that Hebrews talked clearly about it. You read about it in Hebrews um, chapter 9 and verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so blood is so incredibly important in the, in the theology of God that he said, without something killed and blood being shed, there will be no forgiveness of sins. We read the same in chapter 10 of, 20, um, of Hebrews in verse 24 that it says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take or to remove sin. So we see in, 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 in Jesus, the completion has come. Because bulls and goats and oxen and whatever could never remove sin. It was actually just something that pointed to the complete sacrifice that one day will come. So here we are introduced to it in another way again. It has come from the beginning of the Bible already. And so today, you and I, our way into intimacy with the Father is not, like I said last week again, it's not with anything that I can do. My efforts will never accomplish intimacy and fellowship with the Father. It is because of what Christ has done. The blood of Christ shed for you and me has, has enabled us to come into this beautiful relationship with Him. Jesus said, when He broke bread and He shared with them what they were going to drink, He said, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for you. So what Jesus that moment did, he said, he brought an end to the old and he introduced a new sacrifice that was going to come. And so because of this sacrifice, you are now able to enjoy this beautiful unity and fellowship with the Father. And, and you know what? These are things that we know. Most of you have known these things for so many years. But what we tend to still do is to come to God with our efforts, with our sacrifice and to say, maybe my efforts will make me be received more and put me in good standing before the Father. Nothing, it is purely His grace that has brought me into a beautiful relationship with Him. And here in Exodus 24, we are introduced to the concept which become fulfilled, we became fulfilled in Christ. The shedding of blood through the death of Christ has become the way to relationship with God. Our way home is through what Jesus has done for us. And I implore of you, if you've never understood this as an individual, and maybe you've tried to religiously try to gain favor with God, the only way, my friend, is through accepting what Christ did on the cross. His complete sacrifice brings salvation to our lives. Nothing that I can do or my good efforts will never, ever be enough. It is the complete work of Christ on the cross. And if you need to apply that to your life and, 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 and bring it into part of who you are and you need help with, please come and talk to us. We'd love to help you and help you understand that it's only Jesus as you forgive, ask him for forgiveness of your sins. The last thing I want to mention is that this talks about the ultimate destination in life. And it really is knowing God and living in fellowship and communion with Him. And so again, remember the Old Testament is a picture of what the New Testament 
um, gives us the fulfillment of. And so, yeah, you find these beautiful things happening. Let me show you in, um, in verses 10. It says that these guys that were together with Moses, says they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. This is quite an incredible scene. It almost appears like they were looking at God through this, through this foundation of, of clarity, of, of sapphire stone. And, and God was standing up there, and they, they were looking at him. And, and it says, and, and they, they, they saw that it like the very heaven for clearness was, was above them. And in verse 11 it says, And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. He did not destroy them. It says, They beheld God. How's this? And ate and drank. <laughs> Such a beautiful picture of, of, of peace coming. It's like we're in this moment. Look, yes, God, he's appearing. We don't know exactly what, what they saw of God, but in that moment, they ate and drank. <laughs> it's like such a weird thing to bring into the context here. And it seems to us that, that this must have been an incredible moment of peace and of comfort for them. That they could enjoy just life with God. We find that there's something about the presence of God that we see as a reality for these people. And without the presence of God, nothing else really matters. So our ultimate destination is not what we can achieve for God and even with God. Our ultimate destination is just to be with God. Because there we find that there's a covenant meal enjoyed. And you know what? That's what Jesus came to introduce to us when he broke bread and he shared with us the cup. He says, this is the covenant meal that I'm going to have with you. And what it actually means is not what food you should have, but who you should enjoy. And so when he came, and again, just the fulfillment of this is that our ultimate destination is this beautiful walk with God where we can be at peace with him. And today... We celebrate it around communion because we are at peace with God, isn't it? On the basis of His sacrifice, basis of what we have enjoyed and have received, and we can celebrate meals with one another. And by the way, just on that note, it's such a good thing to do, is to invite one another. And please RSVP when you get an invitation for this. But it's good to invite each other for those moments that we celebrate what God has done in our lives. We are at peace with each other. And we want to have one another over for. And maybe sometimes you can't do the meal. It's just, why don't you just come over? I don't even have coffee or anything. Just, just come over. And let's just celebrate the covenant that we have with God and can have with one another. There's peace. To eat together surely is a mark of friendship and agreement. And, and here this is what is introduced. They beheld God and ate and drank. The meal that they ate symbolized the sweetness of union and communion and the enjoyment of the presence of God because of the covenant. The book of the covenant, the blood of the covenant. Somebody once said, this is salvation to eat with God. This is salvation to eat with God. And 
And we know what that means. It's not a physical meal that you have. Jesus actually so clearly spoke to the churches in, in, in Revelation. And Revelation 3 verse, verse 20 he speaks to one of the churches and he says, listen, I behold, I stand at the door of your heart. And it's not the hearts of unbelievers. So often we misquote this verse. Revelation 3 verse 20 is not about salvation for those that never known Jesus. He's speaking to the church. He's saying, you've closed the door of your heart to me. I'm standing on the door and I'm knocking. I say, if you open up, I will come and do what? I will come and dine with you. I will come and feast with you. That's salvation, ladies and gentlemen. Not just to get to heaven. Heaven is not our destination. Jesus is. God in his fullness is. And so the only way home is to understand that our ultimate destination is not a place, but it's a person. The disciples tasted of this when Jesus washed their feet and had a meal with him. That is home. That is home. So I conclude this morning. I said, you're the only way home, home to him and fellowship with him and life with him is through responding to this invitation. And by the way, there's a constant invitation. It's a once-off one where you say, yes, Jesus, I submit myself to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And if you've never done that, please let us help you. But there's a constant invitation taking place where he says, come. And remember, in the busyness of life, that's the one invitation that we so often either don't hear or ignore. The invitation to come and be with him. And I don't know what you are doing. That's why there is an appropriate response even required in regards to that. What is your current response to the Lord for his invitation for you to come and just be with him? I'm not talking about religious stuff and rituals. I'm just saying, are you regularly taking time out, making time to just come and be with the Father? And enjoy a meal with him. Come and dine with him. He's, he's standing and he's knocking. And if you've been ignoring the knock, the knock is there. He's so incredibly faithful to keep on knocking. He says, come, listen to my invitation. Have an understanding that it's only possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And be guided and instructed by the word of God. But I implore you today, as I challenge myself, that my place is not a physical location. My ultimate destination cannot be heaven, although I can imagine it must be amazing. But my ultimate destination is already available today. His name is Jesus. He's enjoying Him. And there's only one way to Him. So what have we shared this morning? Let me pray. God, we are so incredibly aware of our own weakness and our desperate need for you in our lives. And we are so aware of this longing from heaven, from you, to invite us into what you know we, we need. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will understand what we need, who we need. And that as we, again, consider this year and, and, and all that you've called us to, God, we need you. God, we need you. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, that each one of us will this morning recognize just the, the need in our lives to see you as our ultimate destination. That it's not about doing more, getting more, going more, but it's about knowing you more. Not intellectually, but relationally. And so I thank you that just that one verse where it says they, they beheld God and they ate and drank. <laughs> what a beautiful picture of just God inviting us into a real relationship with Him. That later on, thousands of years later, Jesus came and illustrated and said, this is the bread that I want you to eat. This is the cup that I want you to drink of. This is the fellowship that I want you to enjoy. It's with me. And that's what you pray, Jesus. In John 17, you said to the Father, what you and I have, Father, I want that they have it too. Because you are our destination. And I pray for us as a church, Father, that in this year, that we will truly be faithful. We'll give thumbs up to you for this first. And then thumbs up to what you call us to. To love our neighbors as we love ourselves. God, I trust you for that. For your grace upon us now as we go into this week. Lord Jesus, thank you for you. In your name we pray. Amen.